writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. Everybody good? And in five, four, three, two, one. In this episode of Right Pack Radio, the Right Pack are going to talk about how to get your book cover ready. This applies mostly to those of you who are independently published, but we'll talk about the traditional published as well. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host and producer, David Allen Lucas. Author of Crazy Things, Martial Artist, and Voice Actor when he's trying to voice act. Also President of St. Louis Writers Guild. I leave that last part out and always think about it after Fedora talks. So, with me today is my lovely wife. I'll start with her. Hi, I'm Melanie Lucas. Um, exactly the same place I was in Animal as I was the last episode. <laughs> I should say we are doing a double recording today because holidays are coming up, so... <laughs> yeah, same with me. I'm the same exact spot. And also with us today is the Madame of Murder and Mayhem. Fedora Amos. I write Victorian whodunits like Jack Durper in St. Louis. And have your ticket punched by Frank James, which is coming out in 2019. I am also president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime. And also with us is, and I'm going to change her title this time mm-hmm. because of our subject matter, the book cover aficionado. There we go. There you go. I, I would love to be considered an aficionado. Uh, mostly I'm just judgy. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. Uh, my name is Jennifer Stolzer. I'm a children's book author and illustrator. For the purposes of this uh, podcast, I also do book covers for uh, local authors. Brian's not on a professional sky level, but I also delight in uh, learning the craft of book covers because I'm actually very impressed with them. And mine that I typically make... I'm not a photographer, so I do some photo composition, but most of it is illustrated book covers. So that's where my expertise lies. Okay, and also with us is the Lord Sky Admiral of Steambunk Pirates and also book cover artist. Yes, I am Brad Arcook. I am the author, as you said, of Steampunk Stuff. Uh, do be on the lookout for more because there's a bunch of short stories that are going to be rolling out in the near future. Uh, and then beyond that, yes, I do uh, make book covers. Uh, unlike Jen, I am not an illustrator, so uh, I do mostly photo composite and photo manipulation uh, and uh, do enjoy the heck out of making covers. <laughs> They're fun. Uh, so, yeah, cool. Oh, find out more at brightartcook.com. <laughs> I, I was waiting for that. And also, Brad, if they wanted to hire you to, to do a book cover, how do they get in touch with you? And that's the same thing to Jen. Oh, yeah, just go over to where? Uh, Bradarkwick.com. There you go. I didn't, know if you had, I didn't know if you created a separate web page or not. And Jen, same no, thing I with do. you. I have it in multiple places, but you can just go there and it's there. So Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you not to contact me. Okay. <laughs> That's because you, yeah, you have uh, changed I, up your, changed I up your game. I can use it to, be, uh, to sort of be excited about my future plans uh-huh. since you put me on the spot here. Um, I'm actually taking 2019 off of clients, which is very exciting, because I'm hoping that it's going to lead to me, one, publishing more of my own stuff, 
And two, uh, maybe finding my way to a bookshelf, uh, bookstore, places all around the country. Because my goal is to raise my tier of clientele to um, publishing houses and stuff with larger distribution. So, if you pray, please pray for me. (laughs) There you go. And also joining us again um, is our guest... I'll let you introduce yourself. The oh, sparkly no, pirate. The princey, the the sparkly princess pirate, princess of pirates. How's that? Okay. Uh, well, I'm Jessica Matthews. I do children's picture books, and Jennifer actually illustrated them and did my covers. So I tend to listen to her when I want to do something. Uh, and sometimes I go really crazy, like I put a sarcophagus inside of a morgue drawer. Uh, and we'll see what And happens. then I get blamed for it. And then you get blamed for it. And then Jay gets blamed for everything, so it's fine. <laughs> okay, today we're going to talk about book covers. We're mostly going to talk about getting your cover ready. Um, before we kick that fully off, I do want to talk about traditional publishing and book covers. I'm really going to throw this over to our traditional published, Fedora Ames, Amos, to talk a little bit about how much choice do you get in your book cover? <laughs> How does uh, zero to a little sound for you? That's about right. (laughs) I have two books out from two different publishing houses. And the first one came out with a cover that i got to say I liked. And I really wouldn't have changed anything from it. Except one thing that I must admit I didn't even notice. And let me tell you, make sure that you look at your back cover, how everything is spelled, and at that spine. Because I showed my cover, complete with spine and back cover, to a friend of mine. I showed it to Susan McBride. And she said, uh, did you notice that instead of Ripper on the spine, they spelled Rippler? <laughs> Jack the Rippler, the muscle man, Ripper, yay! And that's it, that's just it. Fedora Creative, the next Batman <laughs> villain, Jack the Rippler. Okay. <laughs> You can um, write a story about Jack the Rippler. Uh, maybe I should. Yeah. He'll be the protagonist. It'll be about him trying to bench everything in St. Louis. <laughs> bench all the big coloring, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Brad, over to you. Yeah, uh, to kind of join in on the traditional talk here. So, uh, yes, my first book, I had no say uh, whatsoever in my cover. And it turned out really good, actually. I loved what they ended up doing with it. And the border especially... Uh, which they ended up getting from an Austrian uh, uh, artist, uh, which was just awesome. I loved it. And then that theme carried on. But I have to say, the third book, the cover that they gave me was hideous uh, and defied logic. So I fired off a big old email, and actually most of what that is, most of that email ended up becoming the cover of Iron Lotus. So uh, there is the possibility, uh, ever so slim, that uh, you can come back and hit up a traditional published uh, house and be like, um, there shouldn't be electric lights on in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. at that time period. Not to mention that building wasn't there in Washington, D.C. at that time period. Uh, And, you know, little things like that. that They were like, okay, you know, we'll change it. Okay. Um, I'm going to come here to Fedora, then to Jen. Um, I was going to share real quick a guest who's been on Right Pack Radio before and who will be coming back at some point, Angie Fox. I remember her conversation about her first uh, covers dealing with her uh, Demon Slayer series, the Accidental Demon Slayer, and 
Yeah, she. they gave her a cover to look at. She wrote back some comments, and I said, oh, uh, we're not actually going to follow those. We just were giving this for, as a courtesy to you to see mm-hmm. what it's going to look like. Over to Fedora. Talk about my second book a little bit, the cover. They always ask you to write ancillaries, and one of the ancillary things they ask you to write is suggestions for putting on the book cover, okay? And as you said, they often don't follow them, but at any rate. What I got back eventually was a cover that I actually liked the look of a lot, except that they got the most basic things wrong on it. It was, uh, my book is Mayhem at Buffalo Bill's Wild West, and it features Annie Oakley. Okay, so on the cover they had a pistol. Annie Oakley never used pistols. She always used rifles, so I complained about that. And the other thing I complained about was that they also had a pen for my journalist heroine, Jemima McBussell. Journalists would never use a pen in those days. It was far too messy. You had to take your own ink, the paint. You could ink all over the place. They used pencils, of course. That's the only sensible thing. So I complained about that. And they did change the pistol to a rifle, and they did change the pen to a pencil. So... I thought I, you know, I was I was victorious. You were victorious. But it was not a real big change. <laughs> <laughs> and over to Jen. Uh, I think it's a, that's, that anecdote is a fantastic example of situations. You should definitely fight for stuff that you need to change in your book cover. If you're being traditionally published and you're like, well, you know what? The character on the front of this book is a brunette. My protagonist is actually blonde, Mm -hmm. this is misleading, can we do something else? And that's something that you really do need to bring up. Now, if you're like, uh, you know, I don't like the color blue, can we change it to green? (laughs) They had a focus group that told them to turn it blue, so they're not going to change it to green. But something that is like, you know, Annie Oakley doesn't use a pistol, it's, that's like an historic fact that the reader of that book is going to know is wrong. (laughs) So that's the thing. And uh, I also wanted to point out that it makes a difference with what what kind of publishing house you're going through. Right. Um, The bigger you are, the less chance you have to say anything. Um, With Angie Fox being a great example, she's a New York Times. That specific book turned out to be a New York Times bestseller. So... Uh, they had that, again, the focus group had confirmed everything about their about her cover, and she had very little control over it. They were sending her a copy to look at ahead of time as a courtesy so she wouldn't be surprised what her book looked like when it came out. Right. Uh, it wasn't so much a, tell me what you think of this. No. But the smaller you get in your publishing house, the more chance you get to talk to the person, because you might be talking directly to the person who designed it for you if it's small enough. And uh, they might be wanting feedback, and depending on how small it is and how skilled they are, they might need the feedback. <laughs> and they don't want to be an absolute laughing stock like that Rickler on the spot. Exactly. Right. Brad, over to you. Yeah, to kind of uh, piggyback on what Jen was just talking about there, uh, the other thing to note is that um, one of the reasons you're not getting so much input on those big old covers is because they're also spending like probably a grand, fifteen hundred on that cover. So. Mm-hmm. The big house cover is going to look really amazing, uh, and whatever you had in your mind, probably a little less amazing uh, <laughs> compared to like what you know you're probably going to get from one of those big houses. Not always the case. Sometimes you know the big houses covers are ugly. 
Yeah. I, I won't talk on that. Yeah, uh, as you go down the list, uh, they're paying less and less uh, for that cover until, as Jen said, you might be talking to the person at the house who does the covers, <laughs> um, you know, for free for themselves. Just, uh, But yeah, the point is, is that, though, is that um, the more that people are spending on the covers, probably the less input you're going to have. And that's not always a bad thing, because sometimes those people are real artists. And what they're going to present before you is kind of their vision. And uh, it can be a really pleasant surprise for what a cover, art, a real cover artist, can come up with, uh, because you're never going to think of that, and it's brilliant, and it could be one of the covers that everyone remembers that year. But I am going to say, um, definitely, outside of the big houses, with big houses, do argue, hey, the books still represent you. You may not get anywhere, but still. But if I remember his story correctly, and I'm looking to Brad to correct me. A certain small house, which I'm not going to mention names, had to pull their book cover because they inadvertently had something kind of uh, racist on it. Oops. In their book cover. Uh, he's giving me an eyebrow. I'm going to talk to him off it mic. Yeah. It sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, and you know, they did it innocently, and, it, and nobody looked at it from with a jaundiced eye, as I like to call it. You go, uh, you might want to change this. So that was an interesting re-release on that book cover. Um, as before, I'm not throwing names under the bus on this one. Please don't. I'm not. <laughs> I could. I'm not. So um, let's talk about, and Brad and Jen, you do have your talk that you gave at Gateway Con last year. We'll give it again this year. And you're going to give again at, hey, you heard it here first, Gateway Con 2019 <laughs> in June over Father's Day weekend. In St. Louis, great conference, and Jen and Brad will talk again about book covers and bad book covers. Show up for the big reveal of Romance at Gateway Con 2. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that that, that was funny. Um, So, let's talk about book covers. What makes, I guess really, what makes a bad book cover? And Jen, I don't want to throw names Mm. under the bus, but you just pointed out one thing. My book covers are terrible. He's <laughs> like, I don't want to throw your name under the bus, but tell me about your terrible book cover. No, I, you, you jumped in there. You, <clears throat> what I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm is, I'm Brad shared, I'm sorry, Jen shared, I don't want you throwing the title of the book under the cover. Uh-huh. Shared a book cover with the right pack recently that's definitely done by a traditional house. Um, it showed up at a Barnes and Noble in a big, big, big poster. And oh my god, is that hideous! <laughs> so, what makes a bad book cover? Let's let's start there because we a lot of their audience, especially independent authors, are trying to figure out you know how to get a good book cover and can every illustrator do a good book cover? Over um, to you, Jen, and then over to you, Brad. It's interesting because there are rules to follow on book covers and book cover design. Uh, some real easy go-to uh, advice for when you're laying out a book cover. Uh, your first one is don't go with a template because it's going to make it look generic. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, separate your cover into thirds. Your title should fill up an entire third of the cover if you can make it do so. And your name should fill out the other third if that is if you can make that do so. Some people have really long names and so it's like you have to if you don't want to break it into two pieces, you can't lay it out properly or really weird titles that need to have something more unique and special to it. But you want the title to be the biggest thing on the cover, your name to be slightly less big, but also very big, and then the artwork filling 
the the last third. And however you want to stack it in those thirds, uh, you can. I would always recommend putting the cover the title on the top, but if the design looks better to have it in the middle third with art on top, or if it looks better to have it on the bottom third because of the photo you chose, just make it make your title fill up a third. And um, make sure that you, you're, there's such a thing as, as safe zones and bleed zones when it comes to laying, laying out. Make sure all the words that are on your cover are at least an inch in from the sides. Perfect. That's the bottom and the top included. Because when it starts getting really snug to the bottom, everyone starts feeling a little weird about it. And that's like a... It's like a Vegas nerve type thing. Like there's, there's, a, there's a certain amount of design that's unexplicable, but it affects the brains of people who are looking. So don't make them feel crowded and, and claustrophobic when they're looking at your cover because they can barely see all the words. You threw out a few things, and Brad, I am coming to you next after this, but I have a question back to Jen first. Uh-huh. Or not a question, but a comment. You said not to use a template. I do know that a lot of would-be authors or independent authors have templates offered by whoever they go through to do an independent publish, as well as, and this is always a warning to everybody, the vanity presses and all their little guys like to give you f- templates. Why not go with a template? I mean, if it if it's good enough for do- for Fedora, I'm picking on you, then why is it not good enough for me? You know? well, I don't think Fedora's... I know Fedora does it. I know she does it. I'm just throwing an example. It's good that you asked me to define that further. Uh, What I mean by template is uh, like an automated style cover generator. You know, we don't. You do you have a cover, or would you like to use our cover generator? And then you can pick one of three layouts. You can drag and drop things in, and that's what I mean by a template. Now, when people are giving you templates to look at, those are usually designed by a human and not an algorithm. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Because if you think about the millions of people who self-publish using Kindle Direct, and they get to pick from the same five layout designs, well, you're one of those million people whose cover looks exactly like that. But don't they all have... You you can put a different picture of your own each time, so it wouldn't look exactly alike, would it? You can, but if you're Uh, pulling from the photo... Most come with the picture, Most come with the picture. You're selecting Uh, a picture, and then you're just changing the the title and the names and stuff. And if you're publishing just for you, or small group, or like, if you're putting, you know, you're putting together a collection of family memories that you want to give as gifts to your family members at the, the family reunion... Use like don't pay hundreds of dollars for a cover designer. The template with the name of your family and a picture of a forest of trees is just fine. But uh, if you're trying to grab the attention of a reader off of a bookshelf, then you need to be have a unique and special face that welcomes them to come look at it. Otherwise, you'll look like all the neighbor books, and they'll all become one big smear on the way to the one cover that actually grabs their attention. There you go. Brad, and then we're going to come back here to something else. I'm going to let you go next, Brad. Yeah, so uh, those are all amazing things, uh, and they are correct. <laughs> uh, there are more, because there's a ton of things to know about covers. Uh, so things like image clarity. That stuff has to be sharp and clear. I don't want to see any pixelation um, or stretching or you know any kind of weird formation of anything. No. Um, then, uh, let's see, there's some other good stuff. Um uh, Blocking, uh, you want the image to go all the way to the edge or beyond because uh, color blocking is bad, and that's where like 
you'll just have a single block image and then you'll have a different background color or something for that. Um, and then I think it's also real quick to important to uh, totally acknowledge the fact that we're going to throw out a ton of stuff. Uh, and yet I can throw out book covers that uh, were hugely successful and really cool that violate everything we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so there is the chance that you can pull it off, but more than likely, no, you can't. <laughs> um, but there's some other good stuff. Uh, fonts are incredibly important. Uh, please lay off the most common ones. Which um, are? Please lay off the ones that, uh, you know, are, are hideously ugly, like uh, we'll go into many, I'm sure, <laughs> or uh, any of those. Um, the, the notion of having uh, uh, too many colors or too many images or too much going on, uh, you have to limit yourself. You have to pick your color palette. Um, think about the colors that you're going to use on, you know, that you're going to use where you're using to attract people. Um, you know, all of this kind of stuff goes into what makes an awesome cover. Uh, but really, it's about conveying a single point, usually, uh, conveying a single point with an image and text and everything going forward. If you're trying to do too much, if you need the gun, the dog, the hotel room, the dead body, you know, the cop, the police car, the lights, you know, you're getting in too much. You know, really all you needed was the outline of a dead body. Uh, so thinking that kind of way about book covers is a really good way of, of uh, thinking about what you want on yours. Okay. So... There's a lot you threw out there. Yeah. Let me go. Let me, let me go with a question I was going to ask there before I let you go, and I'm glad you went anyway. And before I even begin to begin this question, I'm going to throw out an old adage, and that is, "You get what you pay for." Mm -hmm. Why should Why should I not go on to a site and get royalty royalty free? Artwork to use as my um, as my book cover. That's gonna be the first question, and I have some other questions going on. Brad, you went first, so Brad then Jen. Okay, that notion of you get what you pay for is very true. Um, I would know, throw out though that when it comes to why you're hiring the person you're hiring, here's the thing: um, you can go to a site like Fiverr or Ninety Nine Designs or uh, something along those lines, and you can hire an artist who will make you a uh, really amazing cover to, you know, a cover that will work. Uh, but if you know an artist, if you meet an artist, if you know someone who does cover art, um, and you have the chance to, to actually physically interact with them, uh, that's amazing. So if you're not just buying flat art off a website, the ability to have someone commission something for you that's just for you and just for your book, that's pretty amazing. And that can be in person, like you know the person, or that can be you know them, you've met them through a site online, or I, I know some of the sites do, like I think 99 Designs. Uh, well, you're picking an artist, that's never mind. <laughs> uh, but the ability to kind of uh, work with an artist and say, this is what I'd like, um, and then kind of get uh, uh, feedback because. One of the things I found, not only as an author, but as a, someone who creates these things, is the notion that what somebody else brings to the table for your book. Um, they have a different perspective. They have a different the like kind of uh, mindset. And because of that, 
Um, they're going to generate a different idea than you have. And sometimes that idea can be really amazing. Um, so, you know, it can be the way, it can be something as simple as the shift of the way that you were going to show the image. Like instead of doing kind of a side shot, you now do a top down shot and boom, suddenly that changes the whole cover and the whole concept. And that came from their, an artist's opinion. So just throw that over to you, Jen. And, uh, to, you said, it's like, why shouldn't I go on, you know, a, royalty free. a royalty free site um, and grab artwork from there? Uh, I think you should, but don't grab the same artwork that every other person does. And yes. don't grab uh, something that is too small or mm -hmm. the wrong shape or has no room for the text. Uh, don't grab something that you think looks pretty but doesn't match the tone or concept of your novel. If you're confident with all of those things and you think you can make a good choice, then by all means, save all the money you can. Go buy yourself some, some free artwork. Go buy yourself some free font faces and spend the actual money you, you were going to spend, not air quotes, buying those things uh, on your marketing and stuff that's going to need, that you're going to need to do as well because we, we all know that being an author has uh, the unfortunate tendency to start off as a really expensive hobby. So yep. the uh, by all means go looking for any reason you know, but don't default to the first thing you find. And I my big advice if you're designing your own cover or if you have a cover designer that you're working closely with, make purposeful decisions. Uh, it's not arbitrary what your cover looks like. This is your first impression, and especially in books, you do not have a chance to make a second. When they look at the cover and they're like, that doesn't interest me, nothing will get them to pick up and read the back. They want to see, though, you see the front cover, and that's going to need to bait the hook that brings them closer to then read the back of it, read the, the inside jacket, read the first page and see if it's a book they'd like to read. But if they are turned off at the first meeting of the face of your book, then winning them back is going to require a song and dance, which is possible if you're there to do that. But if you're not, then it's it's not. You've missed that opportunity. If you're not in the bookstore with them. <laughs> okay, I've got both Fedora and Brad. Well, I have I'm a follow Fedora. I'm going to look at Fedora both It's just Brad. a question, really. Okay. I want to ask you, you said you only get one chance to make a first impression, but if you're doing a series, what then? Because you do have more than one chance to make it. First impression, a second, a third, and so on. So, what do you suggest to do for a series of books? Well, if, if this, you're the same, you know, yeah. Well, oh, if you're doing a series, then the series needs to look like a family. So it all has to have a through line. Uh, if your front cover of your first book is atrocious, then maybe the second book is the time to recover both of them <laughs> with a real cover. That's going to do a good job. Okay. Uh, if you're putting out a second book with a first book that had a really terrible cover. Uh, congratulations, because that must have been a real uh, arduous selling like path for you, because you had to sing and dance to everyone to get them to pick up your book. The um, uh, about the next book, the, the next the book, the third yeah. and the fourth. Like, take what you've learned always, and always strive to make the best one. And if it, like series is a whole different animal, because then you have rules applying to. You know, how does this relate back to the first one? Because having someone pick up the second in a series is not always appropriate. 
you pick up the second book in a series, if it's one of those that's a very episodic, you know, like it's a mystery series, picking up the second book in a series isn't so big a deal because you know that this mystery is going to be presented and solved within the cover that you're holding in your hand uh, versus, you know, this this book picks up immediately following the, the cliffhanger ending of the previous book and you're expected to know 15 people and seven stages of a world adventure before you start reading the second book. Uh, then you really, really, really want to make it evident that this is following from something else. And deciding how much of a family resemblance you want within your covers. Uh, I've seen books where the covers are nearly the exact same artwork on every one. Uh, think of uh, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. When they recovered that one in prep for the movie, like they put, they used movie images so they'd all tie together. But before that, they had this highly graphical bird theme going on. They picked a new color for each book, but it went from the golden uh, Mockingjay pin that's relevant to the inside of the story to that pin being uh, on fire and it's like, it's, it's called Catching Fire so it's like, this is obviously the evolution of the previous cover and now it's more exciting. And then the last one is of the bird breaking out of the, the the ring of gold that was holding it. And it's like, ah, this is the culmination of this three-book arc. I understand what's being told to me just on the covers, and I know that I need to buy all three of these to get the whole story. So cover, like, if you didn't know that your first book was going to be a series, and you just wrote a sequel to it, then make sure that you're designing your second cover so it relates back to the first one so people understand without you having to be there to explain to them what's happening. But if you want to, if you have this great idea for second cover and you have the opportunity to recover the first one to make it into a set, then maybe that's something else to consider. Uh, but I would not, like, don't, don't have the first one look like a third grader drew it in crayon. And then the second one looked like an Italian masterpiece because no one will know they're related. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, does that even answer the question or do I yes, just go on a rant? <laughs> and your suggestion was similar artwork, similar motifs, similar colors. Yes, stick with the fonts. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fonts are very, uh, same yeah, the same mm -hmm. font, uh, depending on what the title is, make it laid out similar, like you can change some stuff. Um, but font is a really great through line to sort of, yeah, which ties back. I'll jump into to Brad's talk about using most common fonts. Thank you. Um, so you're going to answer a question. That's been okay. Yeah. Ask anyway. uh, there are. There's. If anyone is familiar with the joke fonts, uh, don't use Comic Sans. Don't use Papyrus. Don't use Hobo. <laughs> and nowadays, don't use Helvetica because that's the meme font. <laughs> so you don't want to turn your cover into a joke. Um, I would say don't use Times New Roman and don't use Arial unless they are very... They're too common. Yeah, because... And all of these for the exact same reason. Uh, they're all very common. They all come in the Microsoft Word suite. Uh, you will see them on your neighbor Timmy's birthday uh, invitation. And it takes away a moment for you to be really individual and give your book an, an attitude. You know, when I see something... Uh, if, you're, if you travel with me for any length of a street... You know, you go to the store and there's, I see something, like, I was in Hallmark, you know, in the Hallmark card store, and they had papyrus on the front of some some sympathy card. And papyrus is a very sweet looking, it's got an old-timey sort of antique look, 
Uh, it's called papyrus because it's got sort of like a, a brushed texture as if it's coming from, you know, the, the Nile River Delta. And uh, it's a nice, it's a perfectly fine font, but I know papyrus the minute I see it. And I will shout it out loud <laughs> wherever I am. Papyrus! I've, I've driven down the street and taken my hand off the steering wheel to point and shout papyrus <laughs> at signs. Because it's so common and it's so recognizable. And, uh, like, if the first time you've seen it, the first time I saw papyrus was probably on, like, it was on, like, some pest control sign. And that's what I think of when I see it on the Hallmark sign. Is I think of killing bugs because I saw it on a pest control sign. This is how you rob yourself of an identity. Uh, if, if everyone in the entire world used the Star Wars font on the front of their book, every book you would assume was like Star Wars. Because Star Wars coined that phrase, as so to speak. I'm sorry. And that's a new curse word. Papyrus! Papyrus! Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm now picturing the get well cards from Hallmark that you send somebody to the hospital... Please get well, and you're thinking of a, of the uh, bug exterminators. Yes, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks. Wow. Okay, over to Brad. Uh, yeah, real quick to jump in on the uh, series stuff. Well, real quick, also, there's a really funny Saturday Night Live sketch on Papyrus. Uh, so, <laughs> just throw that right out there. Uh, it's totally worth going and watching. And... Uh, James Cameron has bowed to pressure and changed the Avatar font, which was Papyrus. Hallelujah! Uh, uh, it is a completely new font, uh, kind of, uh, for the new movie. <laughs> kind of. Kind of sort of. Uh, series. So for a series, the biggest thing is that picking up the second book and the third book should look like the first book. Uh, maybe it's a different color, but it still maintains, as Jen was saying, a through line. Uh, a font, main image, however the cover lays out, those are all beautiful ways of doing but I want to jump back to your original question about uh, the uh, images. Yes. Uh, so if we're going to talk about self-doing, it's a total awesome thing to do. Uh, I warn uh, anyone who's going to do it about just taking the single image and slapping words on it uh, and calling that a book cover. <laughs> uh, and the reason I throw that out there is I have done that for St. Louis Writers Guild, the great scribe, for years now. It's a great book cover. The Scribe is a, was or is a magazine we used to put out. Yes, it was a literary magazine produced by St. Louis Writers Guild, uh, and I did the, I've done the covers for years. And yes, those were all simple images thrown up, uh, but it's limiting, and it usually creates readability issues, which is a huge part of every cover, uh, is readability, the ability to actually read all the words that are going on. Um, and what you'll find is most actual book um cover artists will take those photos that you get off of, you know, online, and then they'll tweak it. Uh, so they'll do some manipulation to it. Maybe they're going to change the way its colors laid out. Maybe they're going to remove some of the images and just use those. There's a ton of things you could do. Um, but the other thing I want to throw out is where you get your image. Uh, you, I don't know if, I think you threw out Pixabay. I, I, just said, like it. I just said uh, royalty free, so I loved, I loved off okay, the location. Yeah, you did say royalty free. That was it. Yeah. Um, so there are sites you can go and get royalty-free. However, uh, just Google searching an image is not that. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is a way to Google search for images. You can go in and go to advanced settings and scroll down and change the licensing so that you're looking for things that are commercially modifiable and all that good stuff. Uh, but the reality is, is that most images you find are not going to be usable, which is the other reason to go to a trusted site uh, and as such, um, or use your own images, and you know you'll see a lot of cover designers or photographers too. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and stuff. So uh, there is a way of doing this, and there is totally a way of DIYing it. Uh, but maybe invest in some classes or something to learn how to manipulate the photos that you're going to be dealing with or something like that. Or take some illustration classes so you're like Jen and can just draw your cover. <laughs> something like that. But uh, the, the trick to artwork, and I love, we haven't talked about lousybookcovers.com. We'll get there. Uh, we will. And I just threw it out, so go check it out. But uh, one of the things they throw out is refrigerator art. <laughs> section of their uh, you know like website of the really bad book covers and nothing will kill a book worse than having something that looks like you know uh, a non-artist did it which uh, that's going to come up as a question that's going to come up as a question a little bit but just a sidebar or rather a quick tie-in and then I'll jump over to Jen Right Pack Radio does a lot, uh, uses a lot of royalty-free images, and so I'm familiar with this aspect of it. If you have to be careful with royalty-free images, a lot of times you can use it for a lot of things, but you have to look at the fine print because they will say how much you can use that image for. And if you go past it, you have to start paying. So I would hate for any of our listeners to sell. Let me make this number up: ten thousand books with that image. And as soon as you sell ten thousand and one, oh God! Now you've got to pay for, pay to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. Be aware of the legalese, and yes, you will be caught. Just saying it right off the bat. Okay, over to you, Jen. Yeah, all the rules of rights management apply to book covers. Yes, I think I've discussed rights management when we talked about working with illustrators and things as well. But every image that you purchase has a, you know, you're, pur- you're not purchasing the image, you're purchasing the right to use that image. Um, if every font that you purchase, you're not purchasing that font, you're purchasing the right to use that font. And uh, for people who are, um, who, are gay, who are PC gamers nowadays, it's similar to the way that, like, the Steam uh, game store operates... Since you have to use, you, you buy a, the permission to use that game, but if that game that you bought permission to use gets taken down, it's just gone. And you can't play it anymore because you actually don't own it. You just own the right to use it. Then so, I can pause you for yeah. just a second. Sidebar, this is also starting to hit iTunes and so forth mm-hmm. with music, TV shows, movies, and all, so it's on. A, it's so it's coming across the all industry. Go ahead. The, the acronym is DRM, which is Digital Rights Management. So... Um, so make sure you look and see what your rights are, and it's important. Um, one of my favorite sites in the entire internet is 1001freefonts.com, and uh, it does have 1001 free fonts on it, but most of them you cannot use commercially. Most of them are free for use, private, free for private use, and some of them are uh, free for commercial with some sort of limit on them. Uh, some of them are very kind, and usually they're ones that you don't want to use anyway. Like, you can go on there and download the Star Wars Episode One. Uh, subtitle font, <laughs> and uh, that is a great font. Like I love using it, but when I use it, I use it and I modify it. Uh, usually in post because I don't have the tools to modify a font file on my computer. I know that those do exist, so you can pay for those. There's some websites that help you make fonts of your own to avoid that whole thing. But the uh, uh, 
There are, and there are some really good fonts that are free for commercial use, but even then you have to look and see that it's free for universal commercial use and not free for commercial use uh, not to be used on media or free for com commercial use for the first 5,000 copies, you know, that kind of thing. So that's important. And the, the same if you're, like, cover-wise, there are people, we have heard stories before that their cover was yanked because their cover designer only gave them permission to use that design for the first 10,000 copies and then they had to recover it. Which sucks, especially if... But it works fine for some people. Like, if you got permission from your cover designer to make that family genealogy book, you're not going to sell 10,000 copies of that. So you can pay the, the 10,000 copy for uh, limited file cost. Uh, but your needs, you know, you should you should expect your needs. And the and illustrations and photographers, like photographers have, they're going to have a contract, hopefully, that you sign. And if not, then maybe even ask for one to say, how long do I have the rights? Do I have that in, in writing? Uh, if uh, some, some you know, photographers would say, oh, yeah, I'm selling you the rights to use this on your book cover, but if you dare put this on your website, I'm coming after you. Mm -hmm. Or I'll, you can put this on your website and on your book cover, but if I find it on a T-shirt, I'm going to call you. Because they have certain limits to what you're buying. So that's that's my word of caution when you're building your own. If you're going to a, a publishing house, they've already probably got that covered. So you don't have to worry about that. You trust them. And if someone calls them up and tries to yank your book cover off, then they're the ones that are going to sue, not you. Right. And they've also got the team of lawyers if needed. Yeah. Brad, before I come to you really fast, just to use an old adage again... Any contract is as good as the paper it's written on. So, if it's a verbal contract with your illustrator, good luck trying to uphold that in a court above small claims court. Mm -hmm. Okay, over to you, Brad. So you're saying we should use really glossy paper to make it really nice. Yeah, I didn't say that, but go ahead. No. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I just wanted to jump in uh, and add into some of the things that Jen was at, uh, talking about because some of the online places you go for covers, uh, they have some really sticky wording as well uh, in that the image that you used in order to make your cover at said cover making site is owned by said cover making site. And should you ever not agree to the terms of whatever it is, uh, they'll pop your cover off, that yeah. part of your cover. So you'll suddenly lose, like, images off of it and weird things like that. And usually that can happen because it's still controlled through them. <laughs> uh, you know, because usually your cover at that point will be stored with them. You'll use it for, you know, Question. get the files when you need them. And weird things like that. But uh, So there is, a, there is a sticky... It's another reason to maybe go with a cover artist... Uh, somebody who's got a clause uh, that basically says everything is yours and, you know, you can do what you want. Because the ability to use an image everywhere can be huge come marketing time. Uh, one of the things I offer is that if I buy the photograph, like if, uh, if I'm doing your cover and I have to buy a photograph, uh, that photograph is probably going to be usable for universal rights, at which point I'm also going to turn it over to you uh, when we're done making that cover. Uh, and then you can use that in your marketing and move forward with marketing and all that good stuff. So uh, it is something to think about when you're dealing with images because there are a ton of rights uh, out there and every one of them is different. <laughs> but you're looking for creative comments. That's the best. Brad, just a quick question, and I'm turning to you because I... I can turn to Jen on this as well, so either one of you, please. But I've talked a lot. So no, that's all right. No, I'm just throwing this out because um, am I, 
Am I thinking of an urban legend, or did this actually happen where Amazon, where some a book cover creator, book cover site, had um, told Amazon that the that the person was in violation of that contract, and Amazon started pulling down images? Or am I making that up? I thought we ran. No, no, that's a total thing that can happen if you go through some of these sites, uh, and they you don't you violate the terms of the the services with the image. It's right there in their in their. Uh, uh, I, I don't really want to say the names of some of the companies, uh, but it's right there in their wording and the in the legalese down there. You know, read it all. Uh, it'll tell you all the penalties that come with uh, violating the contract on the image and stuff like that. Uh, and it'll totally talk about how they'll pull the their part of the image out of that cover, and then they'll pull go to the different companies and you know it's a cease and desist, and Amazon and the rest will pull it down. Okay, Jen, to you, and then I have a question. Go for it. Um, and it's to it relates to the question you asked before, but also sort of a general word of warning about using site templates if you're publishing through something like. Uh, Amazon's Kindle Direct Publishing self-publishing portal, and you use one of their default layouts with a default image on it, and you try to then republish it on something like Smashwords. That's they they you know Amazon does not want you to take their image and then redistribute it without their say so. So that's something Very else to point. think about for using templates is where you're going to put it and how you want to use it, and yep. uh, and if you're going to get in trouble with one of the the monopolies of, um, you know, <laughs> current culture that is going to come down on you. So, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Winding Trails Media, which is what runs Right Back Radio, was going to do a, um, basically an audio drama podcast that fizzled. Uh, there's lots of reasons why it fizzled. I won't go into details. But one of the things I learned from when we were trying to do that is the artists we were using for our artwork for the stories. We were making movie posters. Well, the equivalent of movie posters. And one thing that I learned is that not every artist... They, I, have a, I have one artist who I absolutely love their artwork. But when it came time to, create, to use it as a cover, and they had designed it for the show... It was a nightmare, a total, absolute nightmare. So you, we talked about avoiding Fiverr, and by the way, the voice actor in me tells you to avoid Fiverr as well for that. But um, what is every illustrator, is every photographer able to make a book cover, or does it take some special knowledge from either working in classes or hands-on? To make a good book cover, Jen, you came up first, and Brad. I would definitely say that there's a certain uh, amount of skill that is required, and, but there's definitely a mindset that's required. Not every picture is going to fit on a cover, because not every picture has room for the important stuff that's on a cover. Uh, often, artwork that is uh, that is designed for covers, if used by itself looks really weird because there's like a whole lot of empty space mm -hmm. or at some point all the detail vanishes and it just looks weird. And that's because it was made, intended for someone to put words there. And that goes for interior artwork as well. This is a, you can, if, if I were a fine artist and I were painting a, 
a picture of you and your dog. I would fill every corner of that picture with you and your dog because that was the intended you know, solution for it. But then when you try to put that picture I painted of you and your dog on uh, the front cover of a book, all of a sudden you have to write the title across your face because there's no space. It's like, do you want to impede on you or impede on the dog? The just just purchasing artwork isn't always appropriate. And then in, in such a case, if you asked me, you know, let's say I painted this picture of you and your dog, and you're like, I really want to put it on a cover now. Well, I have the ability as an artist, as the artist, as whatever, to manipulate that picture. I know that I need to add a certain number of inches on top of your head so I can put the title that you want. And that's uh, that's a something that someone can do in post. Like Brad and I have both mentioned photo manipulation. We can manipulate photos as long as the photo that we have, and we have bought permissions to distribute with you know uh, with adjustment on it. As some in some photos that you buy, it specifically says that it's like you can only use it for commercial use if you mess with it. <laughs> Yeah. mess with it pretty significantly sometimes but sometimes it's just you know cut this part out cut that part out but all, almost all times it's taking a photo and making sure that it's got enough room for the information that is required on your cover perfect Brad have you come I've got you coming next but you what Jen said I need to ask some clarifying questions and yes. give some examples um, first off one of the things you indicate, you know, you're able to manipulate the picture to be able to put some t- stuff on top and so forth. Uh, the nightmare in which I was describing, the person actually created a hard picture. A it was not digital, mm-hmm. so cover art, you know, trying to transfer that to digital was the fun part of this uh, of that nightmare. Did you take it to? The Clarkson camera? <laughs> no, I didn't have the money for that. Uh-huh. Um, so, that's one thing. So, digital is the best way to work with that. Is, is, uh, am I, I correct or no? I don't want to come down on my fellow traditional artists because those yeah. skills are still 100% relevant in this industry and in this day and age. Um, but being able to create a good digital, like, you definitely need to have a digital version of it. Um, I, I mentioned the camera store. There's a camera shop in St. Louis that you can go to that they can digitally scan it. And the scanner they have is a large bed scanner, and it takes very detailed scans without a lot of light pollution and weird color, and they'll do adjustment if the color goes off sometimes, uh, if they know what they're doing. But I can also do it too, just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, the point is that... Uh, the days of laying out a magazine page with like actual blocks of text and photos that are taped onto a piece of wood or cardboard are gone. Now all layout happens digitally. So you need to be able to get that beautiful piece of traditional artwork into a digital format so it can be used by your designer. Cool. Brad, over to you. Yeah, actually, uh, that artist that we had come and talk to St. Louis Writers Guild recently did all of his stuff in regular paint and then takes a picture of it and that gets digitally transferred and sent to the art, you know, person who makes the actual covers. Uh, so it's still totally a viable thing uh, and a way of uh, kind of doing it and moving forward. Yeah. Uh, but the thing I was going to throw out is that uh, when you are, you know, uh, never mind, I'll keep going. <laughs> Okay, and Jen wanted to jump in anyway, so back to Jen. Well, I, I just wanted to throw out that that illustrator that we mentioned, his name is Craig Skaggs, uh-huh. and uh, oh, he thanks. makes some really, he makes really gorgeous 
fantasy and sci-fi covers with lots of intricate detail, and the canvases he uses are very large, and it definitely has a, a very, like, it, it looks really appropriate for the books that he's covering. He also does yeah. uh, work with Marvel and Disney and stuff like that, so... He does a lot of different types of artwork, but when he sets out to make a fantasy cover artwork, he makes a fantasy cover artwork with room for the text on it and knowledge that it's going to wrap around the back of the cover so there's details on the back but not on the like crease bits because you don't want to put a guy's face where the cover's going to open and you're going to have a big slice down the middle of him or anything that close to the edge. Let me just make a bra- uh, blanket statement there. Put nothing significant that close to the edge of your cover because it's... Uh, it's not, that does not, it's not where that belongs. <laughs> back to Brad, then Fedora. Yeah, so I thought of what I was going to totally talk about <laughs> earlier, which is uh, going back to what you need, uh, do, does a uh, photographer or somebody, an artist, can they do it? Uh, anyone can do it, uh, so long as I think the most important thing is having that design eye. Knowing how to design something, an element of design, which people go to college for, and you can take tons of courses online and read blogs and do all of that if you want. Um, but knowing the elements of design, uh, Jen touched on a few of them with like the third, you know, thinking of it in terms of thirds, um, thinking of it in terms of layout and the way that things are going to look. Uh, if an artist can do that, a photographer can do that. Um, uh, that's probably the most important because, uh, in the end, uh, you need to design a cover that is going to be, uh, visually appealing and kind of tell that momentary story. So that's what I was going to say. Fedora. Well, we're just about out of time, and the mm-hmm. one thing we really haven't done is talk about what we think makes a really great book cover, and I would like to have everybody do that, mm-hmm. kind of around the room, and what is the most memorable book cover you can think of? And I will start with my own, and it's a book that I did not read, <laughs> and I wouldn't read out of bed because I don't like cannibalism in any way, shape, or form, and that is The Silence of the Lambs. Why did I think it was such a great book cover? Because it was a dark cover with a white face on it, and instead of what we expect as a mouth, an insect. I found that juxtaposition, that oddity, and the stark contrast to be very compelling, and I thought it was a an exceptionally great book cover. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody else thought so, but I remember it. Quite well, unlike most other covers I can yeah. think of. It was iconic. The moth was very cool. I will totally admit that. And it was and also it was appropriate a... for the inside of the book. Because Definitely. Because in the book. Definitely. Right. And I'm going to say, I don't, to my memory, the next book in that series was not quite as memorable. It would be hard cover. to beat it or even cover. come close, yeah. I think. Um, Melanie, you want to go next? Or do you want me to your skip favorite you? book cover? Yeah, yeah, most favorite book cover? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that, and I haven't really thought of one. So, no. I'll, yeah, skip me. <laughs> I don't know if it's the most memorable or not, but it is what made me pick up the first book in what's become one of my favorite sci-fi series, which is Honor Harrington by David Weber. I can't say what it was about it, but there was something... The book cover itself is is for the book On Basilisk Station. And you see it's basically a illustrated cover. And it's, you got a picture of the main character with in uniform with a white beret, which actually fits the inside of the story. You have a cat. I think the cat's on her shoulder. I had to look at the book cover. I think you're right. And I think the cat's on the cover, which the cat's actually my favorite character. <laughs> um, if you ever read the series, you'll understand why. And there's just everything 
with that background that's behind those two characters fits with the story. And it actually made me go, okay, the, the book was actually on sale when I bought it. And I'm like, man, let me just give this guy a try. This is an interesting book cover. I read the back jacket. I was like, okay, let's try it out. And as I said before, it became one of my favorite series to the point where I think I've talked about this on the show before or not, but if not, let me just re-say. The way I read a series normally is, let's say I'm reading Jen. Jen's got lots of books I would pretend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read, and I read, and Jen, I'm just going to pretend you're my normal series thing. I read you. Then I might read a book by Jessica. Then a book by Brad. And a book by Fedora. And then I'll come back to the next book by Jen. Mm-hmm. With this guy, I read the first seven books back to back until I caught up with the guy to where he was. It just, it just became that way. And all his covers have been the same kind of design. Same. I don't know if they've used the same illustrator. I think they have. But it's the same type of illustrations. Same style mm-hmm. all the way through. The entire series. In fact, he just released a new book, which I just got. So I've got to read, read that when I get done with the next one. With one I'm currently reading. Over to you, Jessica. So, Jen is going to laugh because I've been talking about this book cover for days, (laughs) but I just got my niece and my nephew, they just turned seven, and I got them Goosebumps books, and Say Cheese and Die is my favorite because (laughs) the skeletons on the front are having a barbecue, (laughs) and that is one of the ones that I got them, and so I was asking them how they liked it, if they've read any of them yet, and what was their favorite one, but that is the book cover that I remember the most. Because thinking about skeletons having a barbecue, but if you look at all the other Goosebumps books, they're meant to be scary, um, scary books for kids, but they are humorous, and they have such bright colors, and they have the weirdest pictures of things. Um, One had ghosts on it doing something, this one had skeletons having a barbecue, and you're like, what is that? So as a kid, I ate those up, and I read them all the time, and I'm so glad to be giving them to my niece and my nephew, and and I'm so glad that they like reading. But that is one of my favorite book covers of all time. Brad, you're next. Okay, so there will not be one because I am a book cover designer, and uh, that would be too hard. Uh-huh. So uh, I love uh, The Great Gatsby. I love the the classic one with the eyes and uh, oh yeah, the city below the blue, mm, stunning and gorgeous. very striking. I agree. Uh, another one that I love is the, I think it's the first Jurassic Park, the one that had the Tyrannosaurus Rex in uh, black and white with the bones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really classic cover, gorgeous. Um, I love stuff like, uh, uh, you wouldn't expect like The Godfather, where it's that black background with the white and all you really have is the puppet strings. Puppet strings mm-hmm. yeah. um, and then uh, a couple quick shout outs. Um, I love uh, Paulo Coho's The Alchemist, the one that is illustrated and is very kind of has a a, a wavy line, kind of a, a a simpler drawing to it. It's a really kind of cool cover. It encapsulates the whole thing. It's gorgeous. Uh, and final shout out uh, to Larry Elmore, uh, who is uh, my favorite of the classic fantasy. Um, cover artist. He did all the stuff for the Dragonlance Chronicles. Um, he oh, does all wow, yes. dragons and, you know, knights and all that good stuff, and I love those covers. I would kill to be able to do that kind of stuff. 
Um, so Larry Elmore is my guy, uh, the exalted one who I love his art. And Jen, we're coming to you as last. Uh, well, that was probably wise because, as everyone knows, I have capital O opinions about things. Um, there's a uh, there's a game I like to play every time I go into a bookstore called Find a Book Cover I Don't Hate. Sometimes there aren't winners. Um, so instead of naming ones that have won this contest of mine, I'm just going to name the type of things that usually win the contests. Uh, I really love covers that have a real striking storytelling element to it. And a lot of times they're the first of a trend, so then I immediately start hating them. You know, I, I think the cover for the first, the original cover for the first Twilight book is brilliant. Yes, it is. It is beautiful. And to then yeah, turn it into a series, like to carry on that same sort of feeling, but have everything be focused on an object that is then relevant to the inside of the book. And have it, it's just so, so you can see it from across the room, you know, automatically, Twilight book. And yep. uh, that also went into, you know, the Fifty Shades books. It's like, it's the same idea. But then everyone started doing that. So while the first Twilight book is brilliant, uh, all the other ones are trash. <laughs> um, <laughs> all the imitators. All the imitators are trash. Yes. Uh, I really, We're talking about covers here. Yes, no, covers. Right. Not the insides. <laughs> uh, the, uh, and, like, I, I really love the, the first cover of The Fault in Our Stars with the black and yes, white thought yeah. bubbles because it's okay, okay, you know. Uh, then everyone started doing that, and it's like, now I hate it. <laughs> did Wonder come first, or did uh, Fall to My Stars come first? Because they're the a good, cover, just slightly different. That is a very good question. I love Wonder, though. Yeah, Wonder's gorgeous, too. It Same is gorgeous. Cover. I love a really striking graphical cover. I, lo I really love it when the cover is obviously showing signs that the designer knows something deep about the inside of the book. Um, I, but I did find one from... Uh, like, a, a cover of a series that I decided I really liked. Um, but this book, uh, I, I, and I just, I haven't read this book. I just looked up uh, interesting book covers from the last year. And it's called The Midnight Dance by Nikki Katz. And you guys can see it. Uh, the cover is the top view of a ballet dancer. Uh -huh. Dance. But her skirt is a clock face. Uh -huh. And it's just so... It's so perfectly synergistic, and it gave me that thing that I'm always looking for, which is, oh, man, I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> that's brilliant. So that's the kind of book covers I like. I like ones that are inspired. And on that note, um, tune in next week for yet another interesting topic in the writing industry. Thank you for listening. While we will be changing um, platforms for our podcast in... I still haven't made up, made up the business decision of January 1 or be beginning of the first new season. Actually, it's probably what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. um, we are going to be changing, but please do subscribe to us where you listen to us. iTunes, um, Blog Talk Radio, tune in wherever. And thank you for listening. Please share. Take care. The new theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her.